called disciple. And it's really simple. It's be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Right? And when I'm looking at that video and I'm looking at those photos, we just said, hey, there's a need. And if God's putting that on your heart, then see if, you, see if there's a way that you can meet that need. And there's a lot of different ways to meet a need. This is the way that they decided to help meet that need. And I got to tell you, the bins, you'll see them out there, we're still collecting, but we needed to we needed to get a new bin in because, as you can see, a lot of stuff came in. And so thank you uh, to the Iverson family. Uh, thank you to everybody who's sewn in. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, and it's an example of doing what Jesus did. He said, find a need and meet it. And that's what that is. And so I, just, I thought that would be encouraging uh, this morning. It sure is encouraging to me this week. So last week, we said a couple things, three main points as, along the lines of being disciples, right? So first point was we're disciples, we're not converts. Disciple indicates a relationship, right? So we're in a relationship with the one that we're following, the one that we're learning from. We're watching and learning and receiving correction and receiving encouragement, and we're patterning our lives after Jesus, the one that we're following. We're not converts. When you're a convert, it means you, just, you, you had one opinion about your religious faith, and then you changed your mind. Well, Jesus is trying to do something deeper in us than just our minds, right? So we are disciples. We're not converts. The second thing is we're followers. We're not experts. In case you missed last week's message, this is just the recap. So you can fast forward later if we're listening to it sometime. Um, we are followers. We're not experts. I don't know of anybody who is an expert at following God except for Jesus. He's the only expert. He's the reason we follow his example because he did it perfectly, he did it perfectly, and he did it having to overcome sometimes the things that his flesh wanted to do. Father, if there's any way that you could take this cup from me, then, but I know your will be done. I know we feel that way a lot of times, and, and instead of saying, but your will be done, we just say, you know what, I actually I don't want the cup here. I'm going to put that to the side and do what I want. Jesus followed him perfectly, but the rest of us, we're just followers. We're not experts. So from the person who's been walking with the Lord for the longest time to the littlest person in tinies. We all have something as we're following that we can learn from one another and that we can share with one another, okay? And then uh, the third thing, we are together. We're not alone. It's really, really difficult to practice Christianity alone because it was meant to be practiced with other people. And you never find out who you really are and what's really in your heart until you get challenged by other people. So we have to be walking together so we can encourage one another, so that we can move forward in our faith, so that we can, uh, so we can be supported by one another, and sometimes so that we can receive some correction of our course. We need those things. So that was, that was last week. Now this week is, I think, maybe sometimes a little bit more challenging. This week we're talking about love and obedience. Love and obedience. So get your thick skin on, get ready. Here we go. So I was reading a book recently called Dis Contagious Disciple Making. It's a really, really good book. I, I strongly encourage it if you're looking for something to give you just new insights on what it means to be a disciple and some ways that we can go about changing our mindset to, to think about uh, not just planting a church, not just having a church, but planting the gospel in people. That's, that's really at the heart of what we're needing to do as Christians. And so this father and son, David Watson and Paul Watson, they are uh, they're part of, uh, and they've started a disciple-making movement that's reaching thousands of people over the years. And they said this, 
The modern church has made the Christian life way too easy for its members. You feel that, right? You feel like it's way too easy? Yeah, I feel that all the time. Um, So this has marginally increased the numbers attending our churches, but we're fairly certain it's caused many more problems than it's solved. We've made salvation so easy that people can make their profession of faith or join the church and not change any behaviors that are disobedient or contrary to the word of God. Now, here at One Chapel, just pause, sidebar. We have a saying around here, you can belong before you believe. If, if, if your beliefs and your behaviors and your, and, and your actions and the things that, that you do don't line up with the things that you think we should be doing in church, that's, that's fine. God will work all that out. God, God, if God is bringing someone into this house or if, if you as a member here are bringing someone into the house, it's, it's not to force somebody to believe something. It's to let people know, hey, you belong. We're all in this together. If you're needing a place where there's people who are loving and kind, um, then you can, you can be here. And whatever God wants to do in your life, he'll do. But we just trust him enough to just say, hey, you can, you can belong here, and, and that's going to be great. God will take care of everything else, right? So having said that, um, God does have standards for us, right? When we, when we profess our faith and when we say, Lord, we follow you, we believe in you, well, that's when the rubber starts to meet the road. And that's when we have to, when we're in relationship with him, that's when we have to examine, okay, well, what am I doing? Does that line up with his word? Does that line up with what I have now professed to believe? And if not, then there's some things that I probably need to examine and get rid of. So getting back to the Watsons, in our efforts to swell the ranks of the church, to be inclusive, to be politically correct or impress others, we've thrown away one of the most important and foundational teachings of the Bible, which is obedience. And this is actually something that Jesus was concerned about as well. When he, was, when he was here in physical form, walking the earth, ministering, he had the very same criticism of what we do sometimes as, uh, as people who profess to follow him. So let's take a look at John chapter 14. And we are, this is a long, I'm going to need to take a deep breath. John 14, we're in 15 through 31. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Moving on. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name. It's kind of like if your name was Adolf, right? You always have to explain, right? <laughs> I'm just, hey, like, uh, that, uh, just, if you're going to have kids, just don't name them Madoff. That would be bad. Also, Judas. Don't name them Judas. That, uh, if you already have, that's fine too, because you can always parenthetically say, not Judas Iscariot. But the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. 
My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I'll come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who's greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you'll believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. So, big part of what's happening in this discussion he's having with his disciples is that he's equating love and obedience. He's saying they are the same thing. And I think for modern believers, we only really, I mean, we only really have two problems with that statement is that we don't understand love all the time and we kind of don't like obedience. I mean, other than that, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> like, obedience is love. So, oh, I really only have two problems with that, Lord. Can we, can we rephrase that? I need to reframe it. Um, so part of the reason we, I mean, we know, once, when we receive Jesus, we know what love is because it's what draws us to him. And it's, it's what he pours out to us that makes us say, I, I've, I have to have this. I have to have you. So we know what love is. But when we get distanced from our communion with him, sometimes we forget what real love is, right? And we get bombarded with all sorts of things in our culture that try and tell us, well, no, 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 love is this, love is that. Love is primarily an emotion. Love is something that you feel. And yeah, that's true. But if it's all that you feel, then your feelings change. And when your feelings change, love disappears, right? I know Jennifer and I, uh, we love each other. She loves me, I know that. But there have been times I'm not going to tell you what I did, but she can tell you. Uh, there have been times when she's felt love for me, and there have been times when she's determined to love me. And that's different. That's way, and it feels different when there's receiving it. It feels different, right? So love is not just a set of feelings, Love isn't just, I'm, I'm happy and pleased with what's happening right now. That's not love. It's a weird world when we can use the same word to describe our devotion to our spouse and to our God and to like Wordle or something, like, or pizza. Like, oh, I love pizza. No, you don't. No, I mean, may, maybe you like it a lot, but let's not just throw that word around and just cheapen it. So we kind of, we kind of use it as a synonym for like, for like. It's something that pleases us or makes us happy, but there's something wrong with that. There's something less than what God intended for us to, to walk in, right? Um, true love, and if you, uh, if, if you wanna know what true love is, you go to 1 Corinthians 13, and if you're at a wedding, you're gonna hear it, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You have to, you have, to have that, and Ephesians, or I'm sorry, um, Ecclesiastes 4.9, quarter three strands, not easily broken. Uh, so, Real love is deeper than an emotion. Real love is selfish, selfless. <laughs> said selfish almost. That was wrong. Real love 
is selfless. Real love is sacrificial at its core. Real love is not motivated by what I want. Real love is motivated by what do you need? What do you need? Real love stays committed. Like, real love does what it promised it would do after the emotion that you promised it in is gone. Right? Real love stays committed. Real love follows through. Real love never gives up, and it never loses hope. That's real love. That's the love that God has for us. That's the love that he's wanting for us to express to the people around us, right? Now, as, as for obedience, we kind of don't like obedience sometimes because, you know, people are telling us what to do, and that's no fun. I already know what I want to do. We live in a culture that values, like, values control, power, assertiveness, individuality. Like, if somebody's trying to tell me what to do, tell me how to live my life, um, that's, that's oppressive. That's confrontational. That's rude. That's mean. Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily so. Um, we, we talked about this in the, when we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit, that one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruits that God produces in us is humility, meekness. And when we're operating in the humility and meekness, we don't take the, uh, we don't take the request that we obey God as an affront. We take it as guidance. So, oh, okay, yes, you know better. You know better than I do. And we, and, and we move forward in putting our love for God on display by obeying what he's asked us to do, right? So to many people, asking somebody to be obedient is like one of the least loving things that you could do. And so there's this tension for the modern believer that exists between these concepts of love and obedience. There's a tension there. But in John 14, Jesus is telling us that love and obedience are hand in hand. I'm going to go a couple of verses. Verse 15 says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. It's like Jesus is trying to say it in multiple ways for the multiple learning styles in the room. You know, it's like, okay, if somebody's not going to get it if I say love me and obey, they're going to say, if you don't love me, you won't obey. You get where I'm going? So... Verse 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Uh, we get to verse 31, I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. And in that verse right there, Jesus is going so far as to say, I don't even get out of this, guys. I obey. I hear what my Father's saying, and I obey because that's how I show him that I love him. So you do likewise. Now, aside from, aside from Jesus, in that day, the strictest followers of the letter of the law were the Pharisees, right? Outside of Jesus, the people who did exactly what they were supposed to do were the Pharisees. But Jesus had this to say to them in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus was really hard on them, even though their obedience was pretty spot on. They were doing all of the right stuff, but Jesus still said, you're doing the right stuff, but I still have a problem with you. 
So clearly, it's not just about doing the right stuff. It's not just about following the commandments or following the letter of the law. That's not really what God is looking for, apparently, right? So obedience is kind of a byproduct of what God's really after, and he's really interested in our motivation and our heart. So obedience for obedience sake is kind of, it's, it's fruitless. And as we learned from the example of the Pharisees, it doesn't produce anything that lives on. It produces religion. It produces the need to look really good. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside. You pressure wash it. It's all cleaned up. You can read everything that's on there. But on the inside, it's dead. On the inside, it's just bones and ashes and dust because there's no life in it. So when we're talking about obedience, we're talking about actually more than obedience. We're talking about love. Um, so the way of religion is f- filled with pride and the need to look good on the outside. I guess I want to boil this down to God is not interested in our obedient act. He's interested in our obedient heart. That's really what he's after, right? So we need to examine our motivations for obeying. Are we doing what God said to do out of, there's a couple of different places that we operate from. And I think a lot of this relates in part to sometimes how we were raised or how we were introduced to the Lord, right? Um, Some of us in the body of Christ, we operate, our obedience is motivated by fear. If you were introduced to the Lord through like, turn or burn theology, right? You, you, God loves you, and also, hell awaits if you don't love him back. Well, that's a, that's a really strong start to a positive relationship. Um, so some of us relate to God out of, out of fear, like, well, if I don't love you, I'm going, I'm going to hell. That sounds terrible, so I think I'll love you, and I guess I should love you by showing, by doing the stuff you said, but as we walk through our lives, we're always looking over our shoulder because we always feel like that God who we saw as the punisher, the taskmaster, is waiting for us to screw up on our obedience so he can slam us. So some of us are motivated by fear, right? That's a bad place to be motivated from. Some of us are motivated, like the Pharisees were, by pride, hoping people will see their good works and they'll be impressed, but their hearts are far from him. Some people are motivated by insecurity, They're they're not quite sure if God thinks they're good enough, so they keep doing stuff so that God will be more and more excited about them. All of those come from a misunderstanding of who God is. God is love. God is love. Imagine what you would want love, somebody loving you to look like. God does it better than that. There's never anything that we do that is going to make God say, I'm really not that excited about you anymore. I don't, you know what, all that stuff I told you, I'm going to take that back. I said I loved you, but I think I'm done. He's never going to say that. He's never going to say that because his love isn't an emotion. His love is commitment. His love is not, what am I going to get out of this, but what do you need? That's how the Lord loves us. And it never stops. It never ends. So if our motivation is that, coming from, as a response to the love of God, then, then we love and we obey to honor that relationship. We love and we obey because we're grateful for what he's given us. 
what he allows us to walk in, right? Um, and it's this, you know, as it is with the Father, it is with, with the Son. Jesus asked us to obey. And he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I want to show this up here, because uh, this is a really powerful statement, I think. There can be no love for Christ without obedience to Christ. There can be no love for Christ. I skipped ahead in the message, Nate, I'm sorry. There can be no love for Christ without obedience to Christ. You can't love God while also ignoring everything that he says. It doesn't work that way, right? We also can't do what he says while straying far from him in our heart. Uh, if you go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardships so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I do everything that I know God wants us to do, but I don't have love, then it didn't do anything. And it profited me nothing. So it's not our feelings, it's not our words. It's not even our intentions of obedience that define our love for Jesus. It's our motives. It's, well, it's our motives and it's our obedience that define our love for him. It's our motives and it's our obedience. And here's a big reason why it works this way. So Micah 7.18 tells us God delights in showing mercy right? Uh, Ephesians 2.9 says, his grace is a gift to us. So grace and mercy are God's love language to us, right? The way that he shows us he loves us is through grace and mercy. If you have experienced the grace or the mercy of God and you know it, raise your hand. Goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's how he shows us his love. He extends grace, and, and, and grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? And he extends mercy, not getting what you deserve, right? He extends both of those to us, and that's how he shows us that he loves us. So we receive grace and mercy from God, but here's the problem. We can't show that back to God, right? We have a different love language for him. God shows us grace and mercy, but who am I that I could show God mercy? He doesn't need that from me. <laughs> Who am I that I could show God grace? Okay, God, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I'll give you a pass on this one. You know? That, that, it doesn't work that way, right? So he shows grace and mercy to us, and that's evidence of his love. But we can't respond in the same way. So what's our love language to God have to be? Has to be obedience. It has to be obedience. Which brings up the question, why? Why does it have to be obedience? Especially if I'm having a bad day. Why? Come on, seriously, why does, it have, why does it have to be obedience? Indiana Jones, why did it have to be snakes? Um, it has to be obedience because of, because of just the way that God operates, right? We obey Jesus in love. So we might be asking, what does God get out of that? We obey. What does God get out of that? As we obey Jesus in love, as we follow his ways, the word says we become like him. We become like Jesus, we become vessels. Jesus, at his core, was a vessel 
for the love and the grace and the mercy of God to flow through to the earth. So as we obey what Jesus asks us to do, we become like him on the earth. We become vessels for the love and the grace and the mercy of God to flow into the earth. So who benefits from that? You can answer if you know. Who benefits from that, from us being vessels of grace and mercy? I actually didn't hear anybody. I'm just going to say, everybody, the world, other people, the person who's pouring your coffee at the Starbucks in the morning benefits from that. The person you're sitting next to in this room benefits from that. Who does God so desperately want to reach? Everybody. Everybody. So God's, God's showing of love for us is grace and mercy. Our showing of love for him is obedience so that he can use us to be vessels of grace and mercy to the other people that he really, really, really wants to reach. So he's calling us to love and obey, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of everybody that's around us who might not be seeking him actively right now, right? So obedience isn't only important because of what it develops in us, but because of what it releases in other people. And that's that's a big takeaway here. Why is obedience equal to love? Because obedience shows other people the love of God. That's it. That's why, right? Uh, Let's look at 1 John 5, 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ born of is born of God. I'm going to start over because that was bad. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving and carrying out his commands. Loving God, carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Last week I I shared that the kingdom of God is kind of that upside down kingdom, right? So it's like up is down, left is right, cats and dogs living together, it'll be anarchy, it's that kind of thing, right? So sometimes, and I mentioned this last week, sometimes when we are actually doing what we're supposed to do in following God, when we're successful at it, it's so opposite to the way the world works that to everyone else and sometimes to ourselves, it'll look like we're being tremendously unsuccessful. Have you ever had an experience like that? You know God told you to do this, so you do this. And you were expecting some awesome pie-in-the-sky result, and instead, it's something different. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. You get past it, and you see, oh, God was at work in that, but it didn't look like what I thought it was supposed to look like right? God's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. Uh, It'll look like we're being unsuccessful. It goes back to the Old Testament. Joseph, Daniel, Ruth, Noah, Moses, Esther, David. The entire book of Job is like that. Like, follow me. It's going to be really, really weird looking to everybody else, but follow me and just trust me, right? uh, In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, Jesus is an example of that. I'm going to follow you. It's not going to look very victorious to the rest of the world. And even, like, even today, you know, in, in our lives now, God is asking us to follow him and obey even when it doesn't look like the desired result that we had in our minds. We had an expectation. Tony was speaking about that just a minute ago. We had an expectation. In our minds, this is what was supposed to happen. And what, what's the hardest thing for us to do is to hold loosely and to let go of the thing that we thought the desire we wanted. If we truly trust him 
if we trust him, we know that whatever we had in mind is it pales in comparison to what he had in mind. And we just have to hold loosely. Trust him and obey. But what's important about that is that, uh, like in John 16, so this part is not actually super, super fun. He said in this, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? That's not exciting for us. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble means like, the same challenges of life that everybody else has. Trouble can mean you're going to have extra challenges because you're obeying me. Trouble can mean you're going to have problem obeying me and getting over some stuff so that you can walk the way I wanted you to walk. So we have like three levels of trouble going on here, which seems like a lot sometimes. But then he follows it right up. He says, he says in this world you will have trouble, but then he reminds us to take heart. Take heart. Because even though obedience is challenging, at times, it produces incredible results. He says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome it all. I've overcome this world. Whatever trouble you are having, stay obedient, stay faithful, stay walking with me. You'll get past that. The only way is through. You'll get past whatever these temporary troubles are, and I have overcome the world. John, let's go to John 15, the words of Jesus again, because he brings it all back to love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And the way he shows his love, remember, is grace and mercy. Remain in the grace and the mercy of the Father. Remain in the grace and mercy that Jesus pours out to us. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this means that the long and the short of this, as we follow his ways as disciples, one of the reasons I'm really excited that we're shifting our focus intentionally onto being disciples and being disciple makers is that that's, I need people in my life who are going to remind me of the things that I need to do to stay on track. I need people in my life who are going to challenge me to look to the Lord and not look to the solutions that I can come up with. Because I'm pretty resourceful and also sometimes I just ignore things till they go away, right? <laughs> but I need for people to challenge me and say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did God say about that? What did the word say? Are you doing that? And will challenge me and hold my feet to the fire a little bit. I need people like that. You need people like that. Yes. And that's why it's so important for us to determine as a body, okay, we're going we're gonna to become disciples. And from that place, we're going to become disciple makers. We're going to teach people how to follow the ways of Jesus because they're different. They don't occur to us naturally. Uh, but as we follow his ways as disciples, we're going to walk in joy. We're going to overcome the world and all of the stuff that the world might try to throw at you. We'll overcome it, not only because you're obeying, but because you're walking with people who are obeying who have your back and will walk through it with you. So important, so important. The things of the world 
won't defeat us. They won't. Jesus has won. Jesus has overcome the world. And in our obedience to him, we overcome it too. And that is what makes us a disciple of Jesus. As we're, as we're honing in on and exploring a little bit what it means to be a disciple, I think this is really key. This message today is really key for us to get into our spirits early on. We show God that we love him by obeying him. And as we obey him, we become vessels of the grace and mercy of God for each other. So I'm challenging us as we move forward, let that be our focus. God, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to look for ways to be a vessel of grace and mercy to the people around me. 